Uh, we're going to read 1 through 15. John 5, 1 through 15. Sometime later, Jesus went up from Jerusalem for one of the Jewish festivals. Now, in, there, there is in Jerusalem near a sheep gate a pool, which in Aramaic is called Bethesda, and which is surrounded by five covered colonnades. There are a great number of disabled people used to lie. The blind, the lame, the paralyzed. One who had been there for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there, he learned that he had been in this condition for such a long time. He asked him, do you want to get well? Sir, the invalid replied, I have no one to help me get into the pool when the water is being stirred. While I'm trying to get in, someone else goes down ahead of me. Then Jesus said to him, get up. Pick up your mat and walk. At once the man was cured. He picked up his mat and walked. That The day on which this took place was a Sabbath. And so the Jewish leaders said to the man who had been healed, It is the Sabbath. The law forbid, forbids you to carry your mat. But he replied, The man who made me well told, said to pick up your mat and walk. So they asked him, Who is this fellow who told you to pick it up and walk? The man who had, who had been healed had no idea who it was, for Jesus had slipped away into the crowd that was there. Later, Jesus found the man at the temple and said to him, See, you are well again. Stop sinning, or something worse might happen to you. The man went away and told the Jewish leaders that it was Jesus who had made him well. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you uh, that you make all of us well. We thank you that you come and find us. Um, in our places of brokenness, in our places of shame, in our places of hiding. Lord, would you continue to teach us through your word today? In Jesus' name, amen. There's uh, some small phrases, but powerful phrases in our lives. Uh, For instance, if uh, three words can change everything about you, right? If you look at it, uh, congrats, you made it. What's that say? It's like you've been trying for something. Congrats, you made it. And they shorten congrats because congratulations is too hard to say. Uh, three words like I love you mean a lot coming from the right person. Get it done. Uh, we used, my dad was in construction and he used to drop me off and that's what he would say. Here's your task in the three words. Get it done. And then he'd say, I'll be back in three hours and it should all be done by then. But get it done or on his wall in his office said the phrase, make it happen. Three words that motivate. Uh, there's uh, another one, uh, I want more. There are other three word phrases that we tend to hold on to. Or it's a boy, it's a girl. We just had a little baby girl born. I would say we, they did. Two weeks old over there, getting a little snack. Yep. Uh, but yeah, so... These phrases that mean a lot to us, Uh, and and sometimes they don't have to be a lot of words. Sometimes the smallest amount of words actually carry with it the most amount of meaning. Uh, When 10 years ago, I was sitting on the Huntington Beach Pier in California, and I had taken Carrie out there because I wanted to trap her, and I asked her if she would marry me. That's the only way she would have said yes. I said, if you're not saying yes, we're going to throw you off. But... She said, yes, but the phrase, will you marry me? Not a lot of words there, but that phrase changed the course of our lives. The smallest words can change everything. In Jesus' life and in Jesus' ministry, the small amount of words changed everything about the people he was with. After he was crucified, he sat with Peter. Peter, filled with shame from his mistakes, Jesus says three words, feed my sheep. And he restores Peter back to the way, uh, back to uh, prominence and, and, and gives Peter a new calling. When he's hanging on the cross, Jesus says, it is finished. 
all of the striving, all of the law, everything of, of what we had to do, he, Jesus says, it's done, it's finished, three words, it is finished. The angel sitting on the tomb when the, when the women came that day said, he's not here, three words, pause, he is risen, another three words, that changed the course of history. God, back in Genesis 1, stands at, or sits and speaks into the darkness, and he says, let there be light. Words, a small phrase that changes everything. And then he goes through the seven days of creation, and it is, let there be this, let there be this, let there be this. Let there be. Uh, here's a freebie. When, when I'm telling Jude, Judah wants me to tell the God with his flashlight story, this is God in creation because God makes light. Uh, he always says, tell the story. And so I tell him, in the beginning, God created the world. And my son is three years old. And so I, I go through everything that God did, and I get to the, uh, the animal phrase, the animal day, I think it's day five or six, or day five, and I say, and God created all the fish and the bears and the dogs, but not the cats. God didn't create cats. Sorry, dude. So my three-year-old has great theology. He says, I'll say, Judah, did God make cats? He goes, No. It's going to be awesome when he finally figures out. There's a bunch of things that I'm telling him, like the moon's made of cheese and everything. So there's, there's some things that my son will have to figure out when he gets older. But anyways, the smallest phrases can change your life. And so Jesus today, in, in the text we're looking at today, walks up to a man who had been laying by a pool for 38 years. And all he says is, do you want to be well? In the Greek, it's three words. Do you want to be well? Do you want to be healed? Do you want to keep living like this or do you want to change? He's drawn to the margins, and we're in this series called Drawn to the Margins. Today's text, Jesus is drawn to a man at the margins, and he calls him out of the margins of his daily life, of what's keeping him down, and what's keeping him stuck there, and asks him if he wants to be new, if he wants to be healed. Then there's another margin that we see in this text. Uh, Jesus goes to the religious leaders and gives them an opportunity to come away from their way of thinking about God that limited God, and invites them into a new way of living. In all of it, we'll see three things. It's, your bulletin doesn't have an outline, but you can make it up. It says we're going to see a healing, we're going to see a challenge, and then we're going to finally see a new way to live. So if you follow along, our text shows the man uh, at the pool of Bethesda. It could just as easily been called a place, any place where you find a collection of people who are hurting, a collection of people who are having a hard time, a collection of people whose things, whose life hasn't gone the way they expected. It's a bunch of hurting people laying by a pool. It could, in our, in our society, be a bar. Where do you go to escape everything that your life has given you? All the places where you've come to the end of it, it's not going well. Where do you go and hide? Where do people go with their sorrows? They go to a bar. Some of them come to a church. It could have been called Bethany. Some people go to a hospital. Some people go to the corner. Some people congregate in overpa- underneath overpasses. Things haven't gone right for this man. And he finds himself at the pool of Bethesda. And here's what would happen. If you look in your Bible, you'll notice that there's no verse 4. Because they're not really sure if that was one of the marginal things that was entered in later. Or, or, or they're not really sure what happened at this pool. But archaeologists have researched it. And they've come up with this. There was this myth about this pool. And it was like a mountain spring that they would collect and use as a reservoir. And what would happen was every once in a while, the, the thing would start to bubble. And the, the myth said that that is an angel coming down to stir the water. And then they made up this little uh, superstition that the first one in, and if you get in just in time, you'll be healed. And whatever your problem was, you'll be healed. So what happens was people would sit there and they would wait 
and they would wait. And then when something began to happen, they would hurry to the pool and they would be fooled because in nowhere in history does it actually say that people were healed. It was a pagan site of worship to a god whose name was Asclepius, and sounds like a fun one. And but they would say that this is where you were healed, and so you would try and you would try superstition to heal yourself. The myth tells us that the blind people, the sick people, paralyzed people would gather there in the hopes of it happening. But if anything, it was sporadic at best, and it was most likely made up or dramatized. So here in in John five, Jesus is walking. And he's coming to this temple. He's going to the temple because it's a festival. It's one of the rare times you see Jesus walking alone. He doesn't have his disciples with him. There's not a crowd following him. And he goes into this pool and he seeks this man out. It's almost as if Jesus knew this guy was going to be there. And he had been there for so long. And he goes right to him. And he finds him. And this is where the healing happens. The man had been laying there. For 38 years, tradition and the way we've all heard this story before, if you've heard the story before, we always think that this man was paralyzed. Nowhere in the account does he say paralyzed. The word used to describe him in Greek is the word asthena, which means weak, frail, feeble, or sick. The word paralyzed is a completely different word. The word paralyzed is the word kolos. If you're from Southern California, it's spelled the same way you would spell cholos. C-H-O-L-O-S, kolos. That meant paralyzed. That meant that you were infirm. That meant that you were without a limb. And so we don't know this man was paralyzed or if he was just sick, weak, and frail. We don't know what his problem was. But what we do know is that he had been there for a very, very long time. 38 years is a long time to be sick. 38 years is a long time to sit there and hope that something happens. Hope that something makes you well. Notice the phrase in in verse 6, when Jesus saw him lying there and learned that he had been in this condition for a long time. Jesus knew this man had been sick and being sick for a long time changes a person. Whether it's being sick or depressed or living with someone who is sick and depressed, there comes a time where you just get used to that kind of life, where you get used to the normal day of being sick or having to care for somebody, it becomes your new normal. And I guess that's why Jesus looked at him and asked him, do you even want to be healed? Have you gotten so wrapped up in your life that this is all you want and this is all you expect? Can you imagine something better is what I think is Jesus is asking in this question. Or are you content to just staying here? What do you want to do? Do you want to remain sick Or do you want to be better? And here's his answer. Sir, the invalid replied, I have no one to help me into the pool when the water is stirred. While I'm trying to get in, somebody else goes down there ahead of me. I look at this and I see a powerful picture of the human condition. Where some of us know our brokenness. Some of us know that we've come to the end of ourselves. Some of us know that we're sick. Not just physically. Some of us know that we're mentally or, or, or spiritually sick. We're, we're stuck, and we've been stuck in this place for a long, long time. And, and what we end up doing, if you're like me or if you're like a lot of other people, is we start to look for answers in everything but the place that can heal me. We start to look for answers in superstitions. We start to look for answers in the next big craze that's coming along the internet. We look for a pool and we buy into a myth, so to speak. Something that's created in order to tell ourselves that we're going to get better. 
But the truth is, the things that we're filling our lives with in order to feel better aren't doing anything to heal us. We're emotionally deprived. Seattle is one of the loneliest cities in, this, in the country, yet we have the highest hookup culture in the country. So we think we're trying to heal ourselves by healing our loneliness, but our city is more lonely than ever. We have one of the most connected cultures with social media, with everything else, but we're starving of loneliness. There's things that we do to fill the gap, whether it's a substance, whether it's an alcohol, whether it's, it's a relationship, to fill the pain that we have, and we're looking to something else. And so many times we find us at the side of the pool of whatever it is that you use to get through the day, and we say, if only this would solve my pain. If only I can get to the pool, then I'll be made right. If only people didn't get there before me. If only this would have worked. And so we find ourselves trapped in a life saying, if only. If only you had gotten that job, then life would have been better. If only you would have been married, then your life would have been better. If only you would have, uh, you would, they wouldn't have left, your life would have been better. If only I had the money. If only, if only, if only. Pretty soon our lives become like this man who's been laying there for 38 years. If only my, I can just get to the water before everybody else. But I can't, and so I'm stuck. What is your if only when you think about your life? What's the if only you find yourself? Was it a mistake? If only I didn't make that mistake. If only I didn't fail here. Was it a missed opportunity? Uh, I remember when we went through a season in our lives of, of some unemployment and trying to figure out where we were going. And I had this job offer in college to go make videos for a dolphin cruise in Hawaii. I was like 19 years old and I was kind of making movies on the side. And this guy approached me and says, hey, I'm starting this company and we're gonna, I need somebody who can get certified in diving which I was already a surfer, so it was like, this is perfect. But I'll certify you in diving, and we'll film people uh, swimming with dolphins. Are you in? And I was like, oh, man, 19 years old. I surf three times a day. This is it. And I said, I'll have to get back to you, and I didn't go. But when the time came and things were getting rough, just after that, I thought, did I miss my chance to live in Hawaii and swim all day? Yes. But that was the if only. Did I miss it? Did I miss my opportunity? And I lived my life in my if only, and I began to miss everything else that God was doing. What's your if only? This man's if only was, it's everybody else's fault. It's everybody else's fault I can't get to the water in time. I get pushed away. If only they weren't there. If only I was the only one here. If only. And notice what Jesus says. Get up, pick up your mat, and walk. Notice Jesus doesn't even acknowledge the man's if only. He doesn't say, oh yeah, you got a rough bit. Yeah, this is tough. He doesn't even look at it that way. He doesn't even acknowledge it. He says, get up. Your if only isn't good enough. Get up. That's not going to make you well sitting here in your regrets. It's not going to make you any better. Get up, pick up your mat, and walk. This man, has, his life had been defined by everything deficient. And this is sort of uh, his Genesis 1 moment. God is speaking new life into him. He calls him out of darkness and into a new life of light. He calls him from death and darkness into life and light. He says, let there be light. 
or all you've had was regret. Let there be light when all, and, and renew your faith when all you've had was doubt. He says, let there be hope within you to lift you from the hopeless places of your ground. Let there be imagination to carry you forward. This, Jesus is speaking newness into his life. The creator is standing over him and he's saying, let there be, pick up your mat and walk. And something happened to that man because in verse 9 he says the man was cured and he picked up, picked up his mat and walked. So we see this miraculous healing, but in this healing there's two challenges that we come across. The first challenge is the man actually had to pick up his mat and walk. Now put yourself into the story. You've been lying there. Maybe you haven't moved in 38 years or maybe you're just, you come there, you limp in and you fall down and you stay there all day. 38 years is a long time to be laying down and then to finally get up. If I sit on the ground here with no pillow or chair, with my legs out, my entire, my entire lower half goes to sleep because I'm over the age of 35. Have you, am I the only one here? When you, lay, when you sit and your legs go to sleep and it takes a while for them to get moving again, it takes a while, that's not the kind of thing here. That's just a few minutes, and pretty soon the blood goes back and the tingling goes away. But this time, this guy's been laying for 38 years. If he was paralyzed, muscle atrophy, tendons, ligaments, all of these things have to be redone. He probably hasn't stood in a long while if he was paralyzed or if he was feeble. And now Jesus is saying, get up, walk. There's this newness to this man that he has to think of life more than if his own, more than if only. He has to think beyond what he is capable or been capable of doing. And when you've been doing something for 38 years, it's hard to think of anything new. My dad was sick for six years before he passed, lung disease. And I remember walking with him towards the end, and we were hopeful he was going to get a new set of lungs. And I said to him, Dad, what's life going to be like if you get new lungs? And he goes, well, I have no idea. I can't even imagine what life would be like. He wouldn't be, he called it his third lung, he had an oxygen thing that he, he walked around with. He goes, I wouldn't have to lug this thing around, that'll be nice. But he had a hard time imagining what life would be like even just after six years of being sick. Imagine 38 years of being sick. There's a new way of doing this. And then mom had cared for dad for six years and you ask her the same question, mom, what's it going to be like if dad's healthy again? I have no idea, she would say. And even after dad passed, there wasn't someone to take care of him. And it was a new discovering, a new normal. And that's a challenge. Sometimes it's easier to remain sick. Sometimes it's easier to stay in your if-onlys than to ever get better. And Jesus is calling this man saying, your your life was made for more than if-only. Pick up your mat and walk. Sometimes the challenge is in our heads. Sometimes the challenge is in thinking that there might be a possibility that this life can be better, that Jesus is calling us to something else. Sometimes the challenge is external. Look what happens. The day that this healing took place was the Sabbath. And the Jewish leader said to the man who had been healed, it's the Sabbath. The law forbids you to carry your mat, which is weird. They've probably seen this guy laying on the ground and now they see him walking by and they don't say, whoa, you're walking, great job. They say, why, why are you carrying your mat? Talk about a killjoy, right? Here this miracle's happening, but they're so trapped in their old way of thinking, they're so trapped in their rules that they never really see what God is doing. 
There were rules around the Sabbath. There were things you weren't supposed to do. They said uh, the Sabbath simply says, don't work. Do no work on the Sabbath. And it's an idea that we rest and God continues the work. It's the idea around Sabbath that, that not everything is hinging on your effort. This is what the Sabbath was created for. So we can take a break and God can continue working so that we can rest. And so the law was that, and the Pharisees and the Jewish leaders that day said, we won't work. And so they set up this rule. There's the rule, no working. But they were so concerned that people were going to break the rule that then they put other things around it, saying if we can't touch that, then we're going to put a boundary here so that we don't get too close to this. That was the law. This was the hedge of the law is what they called it. The hedge protected it. So you can break this one and you still haven't touched this one. It was kind of like this fail-safe thing. But what happened was they started worshiping the hedge of the law and they lost sight of what the real law was pointing to. The law that God still works on the Sabbath. The law that the Sabbath was created for us. We weren't created for the Sabbath. The thought that we have to control things, that, that God only works in certain ways. They said they lost sight of what was happening. So Jesus comes along and he starts healing people on the Sabbath. Why? Because Sabbath was made for our restoration. Jesus comes and restores people on the Sabbath. In Mark 7, Jesus gets into trouble and he heals someone on the Sabbath. And he asks the question, was the Sabbath created for you or were you created for the Sabbath? In other words, get your perspective right here. What Jesus, I think, is doing here, he's picking a fight with the, with the religious leaders of the day, saying, look, sometimes your if only, sometimes what's keeping you from actually entering into what God has for you is your traditions and the way you've been stuck for the longest of longest of times. God is doing something. And we're so trapped by our old way of thinking that we can't ever see God do something. My wife's a therapist and she tells me all these funny things and, and usually it's about me or something I'm doing, but the other night she told me about a limiting belief. This idea that uh, it's a false belief that you put in front of yourself and you doubt something or you say, I will never, and then what happens is you will never. So I had this, uh, before I injured my shoulder, we used to do a lot of weightlifting and there was this one lift that was like 200 pounds or something and someone would walk in and go, never going to lift that. And we always used to say, well, now you're not. Because you just told yourself you're never going to do it. So you're never going to do it. And I fell into it. There was one lift that I couldn't get above 235 pounds. It would always get stuck right here and I couldn't get under it. And so finally I told myself, I'm never going to lift that. And guess what? I never did. And so we put these things around God. We put a limiting belief around God saying, he's only going to work in this way. He's only going to work in that way. And he can't work in anywhere else. This is what the Pharisees were doing that day. God can't work on the Sabbath. Nobody works on the Sabbath. And so they don't see God working on the Sabbath. We do this all the time. We say, that person will never change. They'll always be like this. The situation that I'm in will always be the same. It'll never change. I'll always struggle with blank. Fill it in. We put a limiting belief around God. God won't move here. There's no way God can move. This relationship, this marriage is doomed. It's a limiting belief. My kid will never blank. Right now it's potty training. 
We're trying to teach Judah how to use the toilet like an adult. That kid's never going to learn. But it's been three days. Give me, a, give me a break. But we put a limiting belief around what things could happen. We put a limiting belief on the way God will work. And sometimes our limiting belief is the way we actually think about God. Their theology said God wouldn't do this. And so they missed what God was doing. You hear people say this all the time, the Bible is so clear about this, or I shouldn't be swayed by anything because it's clear and I'm holding up every situation to this, and oftentimes it's not as clear as you'd like it to be. Sometimes the Bible can be used to do a host of things, like can a woman preach? Can a woman be in leadership? Can a divorced person serve God? Can a person battling mental illness have a genuine faith and intimacy with God? Can people still speak in tongues? Are there healings today? There's a bunch of things that we throw limits on. We ask ourselves questions, and before we give God a chance to answer the question, we come to our conclusions, just like the religious leaders did here. Then we disagree and fight with other people because their conclusion is different from ours. The Pharisee held to their their side of of, of of the stream and said, this is what happens, and that isn't what happens. And so they missed what God was doing in the middle of them. And so they were more upset about this man carrying a mat than they were about the fact that this man had been healed and they missed it. Oftentimes we don't want to move because we don't think God could ever move in the way that's different from the way that we think. And so we start doing things that we regret. They're ready to punish this man for breaking the law about the Sabbath. When he didn't break a law about the Sabbath, he broke their tradition about the Sabbath. Sometimes we, our traditions stand away, and instead of the possibility of maybe God might be working, they miss it. What this implies for us is that maybe God is doing something bigger than what we think about him. And we just might be surprised about how God pushes past our limiting beliefs. And so it becomes a challenge to all of us. And in this challenge is a new way to live. This man had his if-onlys. And he's stuck in this world of blame and this is how he lives. And look what happens in verse 14. The man went to the temple. Later, Jesus found him at the temple and said to him, see, you are well again. Stop sinning or something worse might happen to you. That's kind of hard to hear, right? Hey, you're doing good. Don't screw up again. But we we tend to look at this and think that That if we sin, we're going to get sick. That our sin causes sickness. Later in John 9, Jesus addresses this. There is a man who is blind, and he's been blind since birth. And this is the one where the disciples ask him, whose fault is this? Did he sin, or did his parents sin? And Jesus goes, neither. Sometimes people are just blind. And he's, I'm going to heal him. And so this, I'm going to use this to show what God can do. Jesus isn't saying here that you are sick because you have sinned. Sure, there's consequences to the sin, but that can't be found here. That's not what Jesus is saying. Jesus found this guy for the second time. He had gone to the temple to be made clean. It's what happens when you were sick. You were declared unclean. You go to the temple to be declared clean so you can worship. And it was their, their way of the law. And Jesus seeks him out and says to remind him, look, you've been healed But because you've been given this grace of healing, there is some truth that you must do. Your life has to be different now. You've been given grace, now live in the truth. You'll reap what you sow. You are made well. 
Continue this way. Continue on to this new life. Jesus gave this man a brand new identity. He's no longer talk, called the invalid in the text. He's never given a name. He's known as the invalid. Now he's called the man who was made well. Jesus gives him a brand new identity and says, this is who you are now. That was who you were then. Don't go back. Continue to be made well. Continue to live in the grace that you've been given. Your life has changed. When you come to Christ, when you, be, when you say yes to him, there's things that change about you. There's a whole bunch of them. We've talked about some of them. You are given the spirit, you are sealed. But there's also an identity switch. You are adopted into a new family. It says this in Ephesians. The old you is gone. You are brought into something brand new. You are given a brand new identity. You are no longer called a sinner. You are called a saint. Look around the room. Do we all look like saints? No. But when God sees us, well, maybe a couple of us do. But when God sees us, he sees a saint. He defines you by who he sees Jesus as. In Colossians, it says, your life hidden inside Christ's life. When, Jesus, when God looks at you, he sees Jesus. This is you. You've been made well. There's no reason for you to go back to living the old way of life. There's no reason for this man to go back to the pool and lie there and wait for something else. He's been made well. Now live into the healing that you've received. But what's this man do? Verse 15, the man went away and told the Jewish leaders that it was Jesus who had made him well. He rats Jesus out. Now there's this idea going around, you can look at this two ways. Jesus intentionally picked the fight with the Pharisees to start his path to the cross. Or the other way to look at this is this man never really lived into his healing. And the first time we see him, he's blaming other people. The second time he talks, he's blaming the man who made him well. This last time, he rats Jesus out. He never went back to the, to, he never lived fully into his healing. He went back to the poolside. It was always somebody else. If only, if only, if only, and now his if only, he's healed, but he's not really living into the healing he's received. So I don't know where this is, where it finds you today. Um, I like to look at the text and see where, where, where I can see myself in this. This man was given a new identity, but he, ceased, he, he refused to live into it. And in so doing, he misses the chance, and he's settled for good enough rather than being healed. So where do, you find, where do we find ourselves today? Maybe some of us have been living our lives defined by the if-onlys. And in so doing, you lived your life Blaming other things, hoping that everything will change. Jesus invites you to stop the blame. That's not how we're supposed to live. And when we blame things, nothing will ever change. When we live in our if-onlys, all you'll have is an if-only. And Jesus is calling us into a new life. Maybe it hits you in this way, that you're afraid to accept this new life because you've been living this way for so long and you can't imagine any way to change. You can't imagine hope when you've been hopeless. You can't imagine having faith when you've had ways and things happen to you. You can't imagine ever having faith that things will change again. Maybe you're so ingrained in a way of thinking that you've missed what God is doing right in your midst. The story of Jacob, I love the story of Jacob. He spends the night in the desert and he thinks that God, God isn't there. And he spends the night, he has this amazing dream and then he wakes up and goes, whoa, God was here. 
And I never, ever expected it. Maybe that's you. Maybe you're, you're thinking, there's no way God can move. And God's saying, but I want to. I just need you to stop limiting what I can do and what I can't do. Maybe some of us have put handcuffs on what God can do because of our limiting beliefs. Or maybe you've been healed, but you always seem to find a way to go right back to being sick. Today I wonder what it would look like for all of us if we really wanted to be well, to pick up our mat and walk. To lay down the things that have been holding us back and get up and walk. The three words, get up, walk. This is what God is asking you to do. This is what Jesus asks us to do. He comes to us when we're stuck in our if only and says, I have a better way of living. Get up and walk. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you that you find each and every one of us lying by the pool waiting for something to happen and you always come and you say, can't find hope there. You can only find hope in me. And so Lord, I pray that we would find that hope in you. And Spirit, I would ask that you would search all of us this morning. Search us and, and find the ways and where we're limiting you, find the ways where, we're, where you're trying to work and we won't let you. Lord, places where we're content with being broken, places where we're content with uh, sin, places where we're content with thinking the one way when you're trying to do the other way. God, may we listen to your words that say, get up and walk. And when we walk freely, not carrying around our mats from past lives or reasons or excuses from past lives and live into the identity that you have for us. May we drop those other things and grab onto you. It's in your name we pray. Amen.